0: This sermon, We Are Continuationists, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, August 15th, 2021, at Sovereign Grace Church. morning, church. If you're visiting this morning, I'm the other guy. That's Tim. I'm the other guy, Derek. I'm glad, no, yeah, of course you did. That was more about you than me. Um grateful that you are here, and if you were here last week, uh, then you heard a wonderful sermon, We Are Gospel Centered, and you know that's really last week's sermon. If you weren't here, listen to it, um, because that's really the sermon that all the other sermons in this short series flow from, and for that matter, that sermon last week is the sermon that every sermon preached from this pulpit flows from. And as we were singing, I was reminded uh, that that sermon even informs the songs that we sing. Uh, We are going to be looking at a topic this morning that, that we can easily get out of priority. And boy, I'm just so grateful of how the Lord has even prepared our hearts. Because we just spent 25 minutes declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and I don't know if Tim mentioned this last week, but one of the ways that we work to be gospel-centered is to make sure that the songs we sing declare the gospel. Uh, and so I hope you make that connection. Uh, with that said, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, but really primarily just verse Seven, As you know, we are in the third week of grounding, that's the name of the series, ourselves in, in key biblical convictions. Really seven, and actually it's seven plus one. You'll, you'll learn more about that in a few weeks. Uh, but really, grounded ourselves in seven key biblical convictions. Seven doctrinal values that, that knit us together as a church, but also unite us. To sovereign grace churches, our global family of churches, or as I like to call it, our ecclesiastical union. And of course, the last two weeks we've looked at we are reformed, and then last week we looked at we are gospel centered. Today we turn to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning is not an exhaustive treatment of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of ways that that the Spirit of God makes Himself present with his people, his saving presence, where we're not even really gonna touch on that today, his sanctifying presence in his people, his preserving presence. And so if you're looking for a fully-orbed doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get it this morning. This morning, what we are going to look at is what we believe Scripture teaches about the relevance of the spiritual gifts in the church today. That's what we're looking at this morning, and for that we, like I said, we're looking to First Corinthians 12. But before we read and pray, I want to prepare our hearts and minds for something. Uh, it's natural, I was thinking this week. Uh, it's natural for us, it's part of our human nature, to fear what we don't fully understand. It's reasonable to be suspicious about something that has historically been abused. It's understandable to doubt what we have not personally experienced. And it's tempting to just believe what our favorite smart guy says. Okay? I think every one of us can identify with each one of those in some way. Here's what I want us to do right now. I want us to give all the fear. I want us to give all the suspicions... All the doubt, all the temptations to the Lord so that we can hear the clear and simple teaching of His Word. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to allow the Word of God, hope we would do this every Sunday, but we are going to allow the Word of God to speak. Amen? So would you stand with me and let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now, and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good to one is given to the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the spirit to another gifts of healing by one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated let 's pray, Lord. As we come to your word, you have saturated our minds and our hearts with who we are in Christ, and we thank you for that. Lord, our greatest need is to remember day by day, moment by moment, that we are citizens of heaven because God Himself, God the Son, took our place here on this earth. Bearing our sins and absorbing our judgment so that we could live forever. And not just a quality of life in heaven, but a certain quality of life today. And Lord, what you have for us from this text is for today. And so I pray that we can put our fears and suspicions and doubts away and that your spirit would illuminate our hearts to the clear teaching of Scripture. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be humble. Help me to be passionate as I proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you go to the Sovereign Grace, if you go to Sovereign that's our website, and you click on About Us, and then you click uh, seven shared values, you will find this under the heading, We Are Continuationists. With the outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, God's purpose to dwell among his people entered a new era. We believe the Holy Spirit desires to continually fill each believer with increased power for Christian life and witness... It's Ephesians 5.18, including the giving of his supernatural gifts for the building up of the church and for various works of ministry in the world. We are eager to pursue God's active presence in all its breadth that Christ may be magnified in our lives, in the church, and among the nations. As an expression of God's continual presence in and with his people, here at Sovereign Grace Church, we believe that all the spiritual gifts in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, are vital to the church and her mission until Christ returns. At the risk of overusing labels, that's what it means to be a continuationist when it comes to your pneumatology or your doctrine of the Spirit. And this morning, that's what I want to show forth. The goal of this sermon today is to show why, from the plain teaching of Scripture, we are continuationists. The goal this morning is not to answer uh, the objections from other positions. Uh, I encourage you to read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. He does an outstanding job uh, of doing that. The goal is not to explain gift, each gift and what it looks like. And I'm going to leave D.A. Carson an outstanding book. It's an exposition of 1 Corinthians 12-14 by D.A. Carson, showing the spirit. Uh, We actually did a series on 1 Corinthians 12-14 a few years ago. You can find it on our website. And if you want, you can go listen. I think there's seven or eight sermons there. Or you can always do this. Tim will buy you coffee. Whatever questions you have. About being a continuationist. Tim will buy you coffee, okay? Sound good? Your pastors will always buy you coffee. So call us. I had somebody take me up last week and just said, help me with this. I I think I believe it. I just need to make sure I can see it. And it was wonderful. So take us up on that, okay? The goal this morning is to show why we are continuationists by, by looking at what is clear in Scripture. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this letter, Paul is writing to a church that is an absolute mess. They are a mess doctrinally. They are a mess relationally, methodologically. In every way, the, the, the Corinthians are messing it up. At some point, I believe in chapter 11, Paul just said, when I see you guys in communion, I, sometimes I wonder if it's better you just don't meet. That's messed up. <laughs> that, that, that is messed up. And among other things, the Corinthians have turned the spiritual gifts into idols. If you read chapters 12 through 14, you will find that they are exalting one another and they are measuring one another. They are measuring one another's value in the church and their spiritual maturity according to the gifts. Like last week, we heard they weren't gospel-centered This church was gift centered. And so Paul, in verse 1 of chapter 12, says, Now, a new topic, Corinthians. I don't want you to be uninformed concerning the spiritual gifts. Notice what he says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He didn't say, Stop the gifts, he didn't say, Forget about the gifts. He said, no, I want you to be informed so that you can benefit and glorify the Lord as you walk in the gifts. And then what follows, what follows from chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 14, is the most comprehensive instruction on spiritual gifts in all of Scripture. I've broken it down into three parts. First, we're gonna look at the nature of gifts. We're gonna look at the purpose of the gifts and then we're going to look at God's promise regarding the gifts. So first, point one, for those of you taking notes, the nature of the gifts. Notice he's, what he says there uh, in verse 7. I told you that we're really going to be looking primarily at verse 7. We'll dive into some other places as appropriate. But but he says in verse 7, to each is given, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The first thing I want us to do is focus on one Word manifestation. We're getting real simple here. That word manifestation is important in this context. The manifestation of the spirit is the gift, they are one and the same. The gifts, the gifts referred to generally in verses four through six, and then the gift list that that Paul unpacks. In verses 8 through 10, which is actually just one of five gift lists, all of them overlap. The point being, no one gift gift list, including the one in verses 8 through 10, is exhaustive. They are representative. But Paul here has in mind, when he uses the phrase manifestation of the Spirit, that manifestation is the gift. This is important because... You know, we're just our own language. We're, we're trained when we hear the word "gift," we tend to think of a thing, right? We tend to think of some object, a, a tangible object that I can hold in my hand. But Paul says the gift, each gift, is a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, that word "manifestation" in the original it means disclosure. It, it means to, to to disclose, to be seen, or to appear. To be shown, if you will. One interpretation is actually to shine. That's what it means. Paul says each gift is a showing of the Spirit. It's a disclosure of God's Spirit. Um, I love what Sam Storm says. He says, gifts are nothing less than God himself at work in our midst. Gifts are the expression of the Spirit and in and through our minds, our wills, and our ministry coming to relative and sometimes very vivid disclosures among God's people. It's very helpful for me as I read that. It helps us get the picture. The spiritual gifts are God the Spirit showing his powerful presence in and through his people, in and through the church. The, the spiritual gifts are not merely personal talents. The, the, the spiritual gifts are not, a, are, are not a means or a tool, if you will, for, for my individual or our collective reputation in the community. The gifts are not a gauge for spiritual spiritual maturity. The gifts are not fodder for endless debate until I can finally help you come to my conclusion. The gifts aren't a delusion from the devil. The gifts, Paul says, are God making his presence known. In his church, through you. Think about that. Think about that. That takes the idea of a gift to a whole new level. And, and, and notice what he says at the end of verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions, who apportions to each one individually, as he would. And so these are personal gifts, <laughs> God, God, the gifts are, are an expression of God being intimate. Apportioned, each gift apportioned to each person as the Spirit wills. We're not throwing things against the wall here. No. The gifts represent God's intimate presence with his people. There's one big There's many implications. But there's one big implication of this biblical reality. If the spiritual gifts are God manifesting his powerful presence in the church, then to resist any spiritual gift in Scripture is to resist the presence of God. Now listen. I don't believe for one moment that is the intention of any brother or sister who believes that some gifts have ceased. Don't don't hear me wrong. But functionally, functionally that's what happens when we resist even some of the spiritual gifts. We resist the active and powerful presence of God that he intends for the life and ministry of his people. You know, understanding what Paul is saying here in redemptive history is important, isn't it? Men like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Joel, remember Acts 2, Peter preached Joel's prophecy. That They spoke of a day that would come when God would be present with his people in a new way. And Jesus ushered in that new way when he ascended and sent the Spirit. And in Acts 2, what we have is now that new way. The age of the Spirit-filled church. Certainly God's Spirit dwelt within his people in the Old Testament, but it was very different, and we don't have time to go there this morning. But Paul Paul is instructing this church. These instructions were written to the church in the Spirit-filled age, an age which we are still in today. A lot has changed in 2,000 years. But we remain in the spirit-filled age, and we will remain in the spirit-filled church age until the return of Christ. And so here's what I want to submit to you. If there is nothing in Scripture that teaches any of the spiritual gifts have ceased, and there's not, why would we not believe God desires to manifest himself to us in the same way today. That's an important question. That's an important question. That takes more than possible implications or theological loop-de-loops to answer. So, one, we are, we are continuations because of the nature of the gifts. They are God's manifested presence through his spirit at work in his people and his church. Just as it was 2,000 years ago. Second, the purpose of the gifts. Notice again what he says in verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Now here's purpose. For the common good. So after showing the nature of the gifts, Paul immediately reminds us of the purpose of the gifts. The common good of the church. That word translated good, it means profitable. It means be profitable. In other words, the, the Spirit, you, you could translate the second half of verse 7, the Spirit manifests himself through the spiritual gifts with a view to profiting, with a view to being profitable. Now, we understand the word profitable, right? We get that. I, I mean, a profit is good. A profit is healthy. profit is growth. A profit is... Success. That's that's the idea here, the common profit, the common good of God's people and their church. Now, in one sense, we, we profit from the gifts personally. There's no doubt about that. How can one not profit when they experience the power of God? And of course, when individuals in the church experience God's active presence, how can then ultimately the church not profit collectively if we are all profiting individually, even if indirectly? but I think, as the greater context bears out as you continue to read, uh, particularly in uh, the second half of chapter twelve or chapter twelve, I think the context bears out that that uh, uh, chapter 14, and particularly verses 12 through 26. Paul's primary point here in the common good is that the gifts are profitable for the entire church. They are meant to bless and grow the entire church. Our statement of faith, by the way, if you don't have our statement of faith, it's in this nice book form. It's back there in the lobby. I believe there's still some back there. But our statement of faith says this in this regard. Christ loves, this is under the gifts of the Spirit, Christ loves the church, his body, and provides for its health and growth through the Holy Spirit. In addition to giving new life, the Spirit sovereignly bestows gifts on every believer. Spiritual gifts are those abilities and expressions of God's power given by his grace for the glory of Christ and the upbuilding of the church, the common good. It goes on to say, the full range of spiritual gifts remain at work in the church and are given for the good of the church and its witness to the world. I think this is precisely why Paul exhorts, not just the Corinthians, but us today, earnestly desire the gifts. You know, in this, te- in this section, Paul doesn't say that once. He doesn't say that twice. He says that three times. Chapter 12, verse 31, chapter 14, verse 1, and chapter 14, verse 39. Each one has a little bit different focus. But his point is, earnestly desire the gifts. They are a manifestation of God's spirit in his people And they are meant for the common upbuilding and strengthening and growth of the church. So earnestly desire them. Earnestly, with faith, with the zeal, with the passion. We'll talk about that in a moment. Earnestly desire. Don't ignore them earnestly desire them. Why? We need to look no no further than verse 7. The manifestation of God's Spirit for the common good. Listen, the gifts are a gift from the great gift giver to the church. They are meant to equip us. They are meant to encourage us. They are meant to build us up. And you know what? They are meant to give us a foretaste of heaven. Everything that the church, everything that we do is, is meant to remind us of heaven. Wayne Grudem says, in this way, gifts of insight and discernment prefigure the much greater discernment we will have when Christ returns. Gifts of knowledge and wisdom prefer the much greater wisdom that will be ours when we know as we are known. Paul used that phrase in chapter 13. Gifts of healing give a foretaste of the perfect health that will be ours when Christ grants us to us resurrection bodies. Similar parables, parallels can be found in all the New Testament gifts. Even the diversity of gifts should lead to a greater unity and interdependence in the church, and this diversity and unity will itself be a foretaste of the unity that believers will have in heaven. The Corinthians weren't getting this. (laughs) They used the gifts for self self and self aggrandizement. I think I butchered that word. Self satisfaction. They allowed the gifts to divide them within their own body. Love didn't characterize their use of the gifts. Self-centeredness did. Thus, the parenthetical instructions on love in chapter 13. And Paul's response always amazes me. (laughs) Given the division in this church, not this church, (laughs) this church. Given the division in this church... And the destruction, the division and destruction caused by the Corinthians' use of the gifts, Paul could have said, and I probably would have said, no more, stop. You guys are too spiritually immature for this. You don't get it. You don't get it. Enough. Instead, he, he says earnestly, Desire them. Earnestly desire them. Why? Well, I think that he understood their glorious nature and purpose in and for the church. I think it's a lesson for us as a church today, as well, for the church overall. You know, Paul could have dismissed the gifts, said they're being abused. It's too great of a temptation. There's too much at stake. The name of the Lord is at stake. Our testimony and witness in the community is at stake. He didn't. And I think we can learn from Paul. We don't dismiss, prohibit, or spin theological positions because there's a danger of misunderstanding or abusing the gifts. We do what Paul did. We inform ourselves with truth, and then we act in love and faith. And I know our church has a long way to go in this. There's no division here over gifts. And I know I, I'm not foolish enough to think that every single person in this room agrees with what I'm saying right now. My perspective on Scripture, our perspective on Scripture. But we, we believe in the full range of gifts in the church today. We, we, we try and help people identify their gifts if they want that help. We, we try and position people. Where do I serve, Pastor? Well, let's start with how the Lord has gifted you. What kind of desires has he given you? And remember, you might have to serve somewhere where you're not gifted (laughs) and you don't have a desire, but that's okay because we're all servants here building the church together. It's bigger than us, right? We pray for miracles and healing. I was up here with a young family Sunday praying for a miracle that God would heal their child. We pray for miracles in this church because we believe God does miracles today. We have this mic up here, which we call the prophecy mic, which according to 1 Corinthians 14, the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy is meant for the upbuilding of the church and encouragement to the church. Now, sometimes I, sometimes I do wonder if it's just more functionally for us, <laughs> but we believe and we look for different ways that we that we can exercise the gifts particularly when we gather why because we need them and that's not to take away from the self the sufficiency of Christ it's just to recognize the way God ordained the way he designed his church Paul goes, in the, right after this, he goes on and says, hey, right hand, you need the big toe. You need the little toe. He's not saying Christ isn't sufficient. He's just saying that's the way God ordered it. So we understand when we look at Scripture, when we look at Scripture we get, and we see the nature of the gifts and we see the purpose of the gifts so clearly And we don't see anywhere, we don't see anything that will lead us to believe that they've ceased. It leads us to a place to say, why wouldn't we believe the gifts are for, all the gifts are for today? Now there's one more thing that I want to draw attention before I close with a little bit of application. We looked at the nature of the gifts, we looked at the purpose of gifts, But God also makes a promise about the gifts to us. Not in this section here, but in his teaching. At the outset of this series, I said while we are reformed in our understanding of salvation, we do not hold to the reformed tradition on spiritual gifts, which is that some of the gifts... It's what people call the cessationist view of the gifts. Some of the gifts, not all of them, but some of the gifts, namely the miraculous gifts, miracles, the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, that those ceased. And a big part of the argument is that that they ceased with the end of the apostolic age. At the core of of that argument is that the reasoning there is that these gifts, these gifts were signs that that, that were meant to authenticate the apostolic preaching of the gospel. And and no doubt, they they probably did. Well, I say this in all humility, and it's always awkward. When you're not a smart guy like I'm not... (laughs) And you stand up publicly and disagree with the smart guy. But the truth is, there are a lot of smart guys who I think get this part of Scripture wrong. And what makes me feel a little better is there's a lot of smart guys that agree (laughs) with me. Because I'm not a smart guy. And so I say this in humility, but as well confidence, because I say it because this is what I see in Scripture. Whether directly or indirectly, nowhere does Scripture teach that any spiritual gifts were intended to cease with the early church, be it the end of the apostolic age, the formation of the canon of Scripture, potential abuse, or any other Reason. The position that some gifts have ceased, I believe, is an argument from silence motivated by a noble but misinformed zeal to protect the authority of Scripture. And that is a noble motivation. And we Share that desire with every brother and sister who would say that some gifts, like the gift of prophecy, have ceased. We share that desire. We just believe the gift of prophecy doesn't do that. (laughs) Now that said, don't mean to confuse you, (laughs) but we do believe Scripture plainly and clearly teaches that the gifts will cease. I want you to flip over to chapter 13, verse 8. Look what Paul says. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In showing us what really matters, Paul in chapter 13 gives this parenthetical teaching on love. This is this text that we just read is is not its focus is not when gifts will cease. Its focus is the primacy of love. When it comes not just to gifts but everything in the Christian life And in showing us that, in correcting us, in correcting the Corinthians and their self-centered, loveless use of the gifts, Paul says, when they will indeed cease. And he uses phrases like this, when the perfect comes, when we shall see face to face when we will know fully or, or, or and be f- when we will fully know. Now, what does that sound like to you? That is the language of heaven, and, and this text is a whole nother sermon, okay? A whole nother sermon. But trust me, if you study the text we just read, here's what you will find. From Old Testament imagery, like the phrase face-to-face, to theological implications of language, to the progression of Paul's thought within the context of 12 through 14, to the analogy of faith, which we all must apply in our hermeneutic, you will find that Paul's words unquestionably point to Christ's return which he clearly says the gifts will cease, particularly the ones that are in question for, believe, for those who believe that they aren't all for the church today. And actually, Paul says one more thing that would lead us to believe that the gifts will cease but not until Christ returns. Flip over to Paul's opening words in 1 Corinthians 1. I love this introduction because Paul, once again, he amazes me. This church is a mess. And Paul begins in verse 4 just saying, man, I give thanks for you guys. You know, we talked last week about being gospel-centered. Paul was gospel-centered, and here's one way we know. He is about, he is about to thank them thank God for grace in their lives. In all their messiness, what he sees first and foremost is they are in Jesus. So look what he says in verse four. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that... You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the language of the return of Jesus. Paul begins his letter answering the question. His prayer is that they will lack none, not one, of what he is about to unpack in 12 through 14. He prays that those gifts, even the higher gifts, the gift of prophecy. He prays that those gifts, he says, I want you to earnestly desire these in love. And I pray, I pray your church is marked by them, every one of them. Because there's coming a day when the apostles will no longer be walking this planet. No, that's not what he said. There's coming a day where where I have faith and I believe, I have hope, we'll have a full canon of scripture and we won't. No, that's not what he says. He says, until the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, until the day. Of it. Until that day when we see face to face, Romans or First Corinthians thirteen. Until that day when when we will no longer see dimly as in a mirror. When we will no longer prophesy in part. When we will no longer know in part. When we will no longer serve the Lord in part, because we will be free from sin. We will be free from any sense of a hardened heart. There will be no more need for the gifts. Love will go on forever in heaven. See, for Paul, we see the opening of this letter earnestly desire and experience the gifts. It was an activity of the church. Well, Pastor, what's the church supposed to do as we wait for their turn to Christ? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> but here's one operate in the gifts. Paul, Paul is saying here, he, he, he understood the gifts as an activity of the church as she waits for the return of Christ. And he doesn't want them to lack any gifts on this side of heaven. Why? Because as a manifestation, he's already told us in verse 7, as a manifestation of God's powerful presence for the common good of the church, all the gifts are vital to the church's health and mission until Christ returns. That's the plain teaching of Scripture. And that's why we are continuations. Now, there's objections. I told you, Groom does a good job with those objections. Go read it. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. <laughs> but when we look at Scripture, we, we don't see either directly or indirectly, any reason to believe the gifts have ceased. And yet we see the plain teaching of Scripture that all the gifts will remain until the return of Christ. Now, I'm not a smart guy, but that seems very clear to me. So how do we apply this? I'm gonna go quickly here. First, we live by faith, not sight. Whether it is the absence of miracles or the abuse of prophecy, we can't allow what we see out here to justify ignoring what we see in here. Can't do it. If your argument is, well, I just, I've never seen a healing, that's not an argument. We can't do that. Instead, we must earnestly desire the gifts. That's the application here, chapter 14, verse 1. (laughs) Earnestly desire the gifts. In faith and love, while trusting God's timing and purpose. Well, Pastor, I've prayed for healing At least a dozen times, never seen it. Keep praying for healing. Because I believe when you open up your Bible, you find a God who says, I heal. So keep praying. Live by faith, not sight. Second, we keep the gifts in biblical perspective. This was the problem in Corinth, right? They didn't keep them in biblical perspective. The gifts don't define sovereign grace church. They don't. The gospel does. The gospel does. If you're vision with us, this sermon is not, don't, don't walk away going, well, they're all about the gifts. No, we're not. <laughs> we're about Jesus Christ. We're about by his grace and for his glory building his church, and we do believe that all the gifts are part of that. But we are gospel-centered. Like the sunbeam leads you To the Son, so the gifts lead us to the Savior. The gifts are about Jesus and his love for the church, and his mission through the church, and his purposes for the church. And so we, we keep the gifts in biblical perspective. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can do that is that in the call to earnestly desire the gifts, that should ultimately flow from a passionate pursuit of the spirit at work in our lives. Three, identify with the gospel. We don't exalt people according to their gifts. We find our worth and value in Christ alone. The gifts are ours because we are Christ's. If we're not Christ, then the gifts don't matter. The gifts don't matter. He gave to his church gifts. And if you are in Christ, you are part of his church. Once again, Paul is a wonderful example. Study this opening. Study the intro to 1 Corinthians. Paul did not see the Corinthians through the lens Of their view and practice of the gifts. He saw them through the lens of the gospel. He identified them as spirit filled sinners saved by grace. Finally, don't allow the gifts to divide, whether it's in here or it's out there. Don't allow the gifts to divide. Christ. Remember, we are gospel-centered. I'm, glad, I'm so glad that sermon is behind us because now we just keep going back to it, right? <laughs> Christ, not spiritual gifts, binds us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that we seek to persuade humbly while not holding back in our desire for the gifts. We don't divide and separate because someone doesn't agree with me on what gifts are for today or not. And this is so important because, listen, there there, there are, I'm not going to name names, but there there are people that genuinely love the Lord, who are passionate about God's word, But the way they go about a topic like this shreds the church. It doesn't serve. I never want that to be us. Is this important? Yes, for the very reason I said earlier. If the gifts are a manifest God showing himself in the church today, then to resist any of them is to resist the presence of God. Yeah, I think it's a serious issue. But we walk humbly with one another. Because as Paul said in Romans 13, we still know in part. (laughs) We're all going to find out where we're wrong in heaven. But the fact we're in heaven means we got the most important thing right the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) We don't allow the gifts to divide. Because what binds us together isn't the gifts. If you're going to be a part of this church, you need to know. We believe all that. There might be somebody who comes up here with with a prophetic word that doesn't carry the authority of Scripture, but in in the moment the Lord has laid on their heart an encouraging or upbuilding word for the church, and Paul calls that the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. And yes, you may very well see that. But that is not what binds us together. Amen? Listen, we are continuations. By faith, in love, eagerly pursuing all the gifts until Christ's return. Because that's what the scriptures teach. Clearly and simply.